So my name is Koyet. Uh, its origins are Russian. Uh, I, I've been named after my grandfather, who, whose name is, is actually Nikolai. So the short version is Kolya. So and in the Slavic background, it's uh, everybody has a long, short name, and I'm Kolya because I've been used to this name. Okay, thanks. Uh, so, what do you think? You're about 70, 75, 76 days, something like that now? Well, it's, I don't really know. It's like something about 10 weeks, maybe it's 11, weeks. 11th week, maybe, yeah. 10 weeks of walking. Yeah, I, I just thought it through. Uh, I kind of was uh, playing with the numbers. Uh, it's like 1,400 kilometers so far. And uh, I actually wanted to reach at least 20 kilometers a day. So if um, if those are 70 days, then I'm, I'll be fine with my calculation. I wanted to reach 30. But anyway, uh, we had uh, like four days off when, when we arrived at a supporter's house. They invited us to stay. and. We actually uh, took advantage of it, having um, little caravans over the um, uh, over, over his property or, or the place where he was living on. Um, we, we stayed in a caravan, or actually two, and had uh, three days off. And when we were building the um, tra um, this this cart or trailer or however you call it. Um, we had a day off, kind of, a day off walking. Because you, uh, from what I understand from you, you, as you've gone along, you've developed this cart more than, it, it wasn't a planned oh, yeah. cart. Yeah, yeah. That's quite an interesting... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started with a pretty uh, cheap um, trailer for a bicycle. It was a regular, it's a Canadian company who produces them with uh, used, I found it used, and so it um, was a quite a good opportunity, so I took it and thought I would push it uh, along. So I took some tools with me and I knew that my son will come with me and uh, he, he said, uh, a boundary, he told me, oh, well, I don't know if I will come with you walking. Because if you walk too long, I'll be tired, so I need a break sometime. And uh, this was uh, the rule he said that he would need some some place to sit on. So I um, had in my mind that I will have to build something around so he can sit while I push him. Or actually, now it's uh, it developed to be pulling, so it's like a rickshaw. Uh, right, at, at the moment. Very good description. Yeah, yeah, it is. Very good description. Yeah. Next time I'll, I'm going to put bigger wheels. Ah, so right. it's uh, 20 inches uh, wheels and to uh, go those footpaths, we sometimes uh, try to take advantage of. Uh, it's, it's a hard work, you know, just a branch this size. <laughs> Uh, would stop you really, really bad, and all 
these uh, um, pedestrian uh, walks, crosswalks. Um, you know, some countries have good um, leverage on, on those. Uh, in France and Belgium, you can search day time with this with a search spot and you wouldn't find any so yeah. it's been quite hard and bigger wheels would uh, okay. make it easier right so um what was your life like before you 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 started this journey i mean you know what was your daily routine sort of thing what was your, what was your work and stuff like that well um, i tried to study twice in my life um, but didn't manage to uh, get to an end of those you know didn't have a certificate <laughs> so uh, um, started to earn money ever since i had uh, difficulties in my life um, with the child that wasn't really planned and uh, it was Difficult, a difficult time for me to see my son and uh, to stay in touch, uh, and that's why I kind of had to stop studying, <clears throat> and I worked all my life. Even if I um, were in school, I tried to earn money in the health sector or taking care of um, elderly. People and so kind of knew um, the work. I kind of actually liked it. And so when I had trouble to finish my study and had to earn money, I started working as a, what do you call them, taking care of elder people. And care, it's worker. Not a care worker. Mm -hmm. It's not, not a nurse, but it's a care worker. And yeah. <clears throat> This was the first time I had uh, seen the sector being pretty exploited. Time was was rough. Um, a few, like almost a decade earlier, the socialists came to power in Germany. The so-called socialist party um, with the green, and they actually started a war. With um, they didn't start it, but they sent troops uh, to um, former Yugoslavia, bombing Kosovo for, I don't know, 80 days. Uh, Belgrade was bombed too. Um, so, and this government also uh, privatized the health sector. So, he didn't privatize it, but made. Um, made it possible that those uh, um, health facilities can be privatized more easily. We have a thing here, it's called the Private Initiative, and it's covered by Tony Blair. And so we still have the National Health Service, but it's really just a private, it's just a cash cow. Yeah, for, that's yeah. what was set up in Germany too. Yeah. Like, usually it's profit taken from the workers and so from the workers and the um, those people who we actually should take care of because having less time to do the work 
the people don't profit from it. So uh, if we take care of somebody and have to watch a, 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 the watch, actually, to, it's been timeline. So you get three minutes to do something and you have to fulfill that. So it's been rough. So I had a view in the sector and I kind of didn't want anymore to work with other people. It, it was really stressful. So then afterwards I um, tried another study, it didn't work out. Um, this whole system I think is kind of set up. So I tried to study meteorology and pro professors uh, telling me one day that we can't predict the weather for more than three days accurately. So after three days statistically, you could better um, flip a coin if it's going to rain or not. And um, because of the mathematical uh, solutions, you put us in the data in the model. And um, those are differential equations, which after a while start, start getting pretty wild and you, you really don't know which one uh, of those possibilities will really occur. But uh, the next day the professor would say, but we can predict how um, climate change will be in 100 years. So mm -hmm. having uh, so less, so much less data, they would still um, say, no, those IPCC models, they are totally correct. And when I studied this, I kind of tried to look into this whole subject and um, read some uh, reports of RPCC and um, then reading papers where which said that um, actually just recently, so so-called recently, it's like 10 years ago, um, or this timeline, some, somewhere 10-12 years ago, they took the surface area of, uh, of the oceans into the models. So the data they had and were working working with, with for decades, um, the, those were just estimates of uh, two thirds of the whole planet. Uh, no, one third. So they had the kind of data for land masses, but not really for the oceans. And so they included those like 10 years ago. And so this this whole theme, like the professor who can tell one day we can predict uh, weather for more than three days accurately, but we can predict how climate will change in 100 years. Uh, this was a kind of, kind of no-go for me. Mm -hmm. There were other issues which have related to myself and my family life, but this was one of the points which uh, really set me back um, to, to go to university because this was a knot in my mind. Uh, so they are trying to teach me something which I don't agree with. Maybe it's mm -hmm. that way. Maybe it's just my perspective. So I didn't want to study and started to work again as a caretaker, but for disabled people. And yeah, well, long story short. And um, I've worked for um, 
like years in the sector then and then COVID arrived. No, so the whole, I worked five years there. But meanwhile, um, COVID arrived. I, I worked as a night shifter. So um, yeah, and uh, when, when this, those measures which were uh, were taken arrived, the, the whole um, thing started to get pretty ugly. Um, those uh, people we were taking care of, they have a regular life. They um, so they have mental disabilities and also physical ones. And um, those ones with heavy mental disabilities, they usually were brought to um, a daycare where they kind of interacted with each other. And the other ones who had uh, uh, physical disabilities or slightly mental uh, ones, they were given work in the garden or assembling things. But all this was shut down and um, the people we were taking care of didn't have this opportunity to go anywhere. And actually have been um, enclosed in those, um, in their own flat. So I've been working for um, another company. It's like an organization um, from the church. And um, they, the church gives the opportunity to the disabled to rent a flat, but they can set rules for those flats. And so what they did is to establish a system where uh, even their, uh, the relatives of the disabled people wouldn't be allowed to come in and would have to apply to mask wearings and stuff like that. So one person which um, was taken care of by her sister a lot, she visited her each day. She wouldn't be able to visit her own uh, sister in her own flat and uh, trying to argue with my colleagues and my um, team leader. This, this was very, very difficult to see. And this whole system uh, stayed for one and a half years. So uh, we as a team had uh, two full full-time um, jobs left over. So it was missed, they were missing. They were kind of, um, we didn't have enough stuff to do the work before COVID. So it was difficult already when COVID arrived. All the people who um, usually normally would go to work, so leaving the, the, their homes, they were at home, but we didn't have um, more workers. So before COVID, we had two full uh, scale worker places missing and while more work were, had to be done we didn't have any help plus all those measures like um, yeah so this this was um, a hard time 
plus all those um, all the stuff going in the um, society while well, the first year Hamburg was especially hard uh, they even established a curfew is it like when curfew, you yeah. when, when you aren't allowed to mm -hmm. go out mm -hmm. so it was quite funny it, no afterwards because um, you know like they, they said a curfew that you are not allowed from 9 p.m uh, to 5 a.m you wouldn't be able be allowed to go on the street and you would pay a huge fine but it was like we, we made fun of it attention attention the virus is now active please <laughs> please don't leave at all <laughs> no, that was mind-boggling this, this whole setup so so so, so to interrupt you there you're sort of suggesting that the German government implied that the, that the virus had a border uh, sanction. <laughs> no, actually, yeah, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, yeah. This was the, the, the people's fun, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The intention uh, behind it was that people wouldn't gather together. So the government, or actually the region, so each region has to decide. There are 15 so-called uh, smaller states in Germany and 16 um, which can apply their own rules and Hamburg was especially hard on those rules even though the mayor is a doctor he, he should have known this kind of so he's a medical doctor actually a lot of those measures which were taken should not be considered as real issues for, for the health care of uh, the population but the idea behind was I guess to uh, let people not come together so it was forbidden uh, to go I don't know in a restaurant or sitting together so total dislocation of, of the population was, was the goal I'll come in again one of the things I've noticed with you these days of being with you, so walking on your own is a very isolated thing. I've done lots of it myself. But yet, I've also noticed something, that you are extremely collective. <laughs> and you, you're extremely communicative. And, mm. and you do uh, bring an audience. You do create uh, a, a situation where people want to be in your company. Mm. So, so I imagine that this going on for you as a work and around it has been extremely uh, difficult. Um, to be isolated, it was. Um, there were uh, so there was a kind of a position like everybody was really um, in a depression. Um, those were really hard times. Like when oneself had um, the opportunity to gather information and not look just to the neighbor, but to the neighbor state, there was a state even in uh, Europe who didn't take any measures. They did, but 
they allowed uh, people to do whatever they wanted up to a certain point. Sweden, uh, in the hardest winter times, they allowed people together in pubs up to 50 people, just normal, regular life. Uh, people could wear a mask, but didn't have to. So um, those uh, those things, if one um, collected all this information, was pretty hard, especially, uh, yeah, like I said, in Hamburg. And it was not only for me pretty hard. Yeah, I, I like company and sure, we are social uh, beings. Humans are social beings. And um, not being allowed to talk to each other, to keep constant distance. Although, if one had, um, if there was the possibility to hear all the people um, which had um, the knowledge, like professors and uh, doctors, there were contradicting voices. And this, this is uh, so important for, for society to hear all those voices to uh, make an informed decision. Right. And, um, so, what got me started to get back to the uh, question was this whole um, setup of the um, society being pushed into something um, by actually by propaganda. I can't say nothing than that. Uh, it was constant repeatment. Each, wherever you went, you, whichever news channel you put on, there were just numbers, 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 and uh, uh, one variable was uh, um, changed to another variable uh, as soon as people understood what other trying to tell us. They changed the whole thing, so people just had to, to do another um, work to, to study what the government did now and well and uh, yeah actually knew about Julian's case uh, uh -huh. for a long time I um, so my origin like my name uh, suggests is uh, the Soviet Union I lived in one of the republics for eight years before the whole thing collapsed or dissolved itself. And, um, another four years in Kazakhstan. And so I had a different perspective on uh, life. So we, when I was 12, we immigrated to Germany, actually flew, but we had a status of uh, not immigrants but refugees um, my grandmother's Jewish and so in the Jewish communities being Jewish actually uh, is given further by the mother's line so uh, my grandmother had the three daughters and one of them had me uh, and so Actually, I, I was Jewish for the German government too. That's why our family could uh, go to Germany. Um, 
the party which runs uh, the, the government at that time was the conservatives. Uh, uh, actually, they call them Christian Democratic okay. Union. Um, they don't really act Christian like, but um, it's a name. Well, and uh, they invited um, Jewish people because of the Second World War and the concentration camps and. So, kind of as an excuse, this was the official version. Maybe it's because of uh, the constant need of uh, educated and uh, cheap labor. Okay, that's maybe. No, that's a good observation. <laughs> <laughs> so, so. so. Uh, yeah, well, I had a different uh, view on the society of being um, kind of an outsider. I had problems to um, get this. Um, uh, sorry, switching to the word. So this form of society was completely different to me and over this whole, all these years I was kind of an outlaw, outsider and uh, really liked to collect information, um, especially um, being a night owl, like, um, you know, I'm not an early bird, I'm, I'm a night person uh, being awake for longer than, than others and actually um, had access to information uh, broadcasted in the night. And those were the real things. Like uh, during the daytime uh, it was constant repeatment while in the nighttime the, those, this was the interesting stuff which actually showed the failures of the Western society. Then there were, were possibilities to get this get, get this information. So I'm talking like 20 years ago when internet just tried mm -hmm. this uh, starts um, where nowadays one can access more easily, or maybe not anymore, but there was a, a period of time where information would flow with the start of WikiLeaks. Yeah. And now those things happened, like WikiLeaks started, there was this huge blow of information, huge burst, and then um, suddenly this thing to Julian happened. And he had to flee um, to the embassy and, um, you know, So it's like, sounds story. like to me prior to this you was very excited about the freedom of information mm. and that you exposed yourself to that yeah and, and, and it's funny because usually they say the dead hours of night is when the boring stuff's pushed out and yet you found amongst that you found a wealth of information that's quite interesting and very enlightening to the truth yeah i don't know if it's the boring stuff maybe it is framed as boring stuff so yeah. people yeah. just Oh no, I, this is the boring stuff. Why should I even take a look? Yeah. But those, uh, not always, but often 
during my times when I grew up and formed my mindset. Uh, those were uh, things which really mattered, hmm. like uh, Snowden stuff and you know all these uh, documentaries about. Uh, there's a pretty um, good um, documentarist. Uh, Dirk Polman in Germany, and he made stuff on um, the method Reagan, where um, he showed that the Western world, um, whoever it was, maybe MA6 and other um, secret services, they arranged a so-called coup, where they um, hired a Italian, I think it was an Italian submarine uh, firm, uh, and they sent those uh, submarines to Sweden and let them pop up and go down again so that the uh, Swedish society thought the Russians would uh, come. <laughs> so Sweden was a neutral country and uh, NATO countries, or maybe the USA, you know, people in power tried to influence, influence um, the Swedish society to go into NATO. Because Sweden tried to uh, establish a connection between the Soviet Union to work together. <clears throat> and this was kind of uh, contradicting the, the powers of the West and so they tried to influence uh, stuff. and. Uh, yeah, well, those documentaries you could have seen, but like in, in the night hours. So the really important information that um, how the system works was it's, it's shown funny. more or from yeah. in the nighttime than, than in daytime. Because at that time in, in, in history, I would have thought uh, subliminal messaging was quite a big thing and describing these submarine heads going up and down you know because uh, advertising it, there's there's subtle ways they advertise so it's very interesting that you you sort of cottoned on to this through this this guy's documentary yeah yeah you made other stuff too like yeah, okay. uh, i then further searched for for his documentaries and they are great uh, he talks about that Israel uh, has actually nuclear weapons, but nobody talks about it. It's like a forbidden, it is an open secret, right? So everybody knows they have, and so that the French actually helped building uh, nuclear sites uh, in Israel. He compared uh, images of um, nuclear plants in France and Israel and those were exactly the same so France helped Israel building nuclear uh, power plants where they breed those uh, materials to build bombs and so really interesting stuff but um, this is usually hidden so instead of um, giving the population this information they say no you really it is a democracy, you can access this information. And it's true. Like in the case of Julian Assange, they do report, but they 
report so seldom uh, that it does slip under the radar of normal life people being busy with, with working <laughs> kids uh, they try to all oh, right oh let's sit down and you know watching tv and then the news come uh, oh yeah this is bad this is bad this is bad but uh, those kind of information had to be um, highlighted instead of highlighting they send it once in, in three months or six months and uh, when you say but you don't even report they say no 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 look it up we have reported and it, it's actually true <laughs> are, are you familiar with the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy oh yes i i you just I read the first book they, they highlighted a point in it where the vulcans are telling earth <laughs> <laughs> if you won't, won't take, if you, you don't could take, have gone to Alpha Centauri. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's been there for fifty years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could, you know, <laughs> and it's like, well, it's the bottom of a staircase that wasn't there, you know, in a filing cabinet that was locked, you know, <laughs> but you didn't take any interest. It's, you really highlight that. <laughs> Carry on, I'm, I'm, but you just made me chuckle. But the way it you is. Just, it, yeah. That's the the setup, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So during it, really. In amongst all this would be very inspiring because he was he was the person going down the staircases getting into them filing cabinets and bringing that information out is that a fair assumption of that? that's it yeah uh, not not even he so he he made it possible he had set yeah. up um the platform the platform yeah right and yeah. um so the uh, whistleblowers could give documents mm. which were in public interest. Mm. We paid for all this. Yes. Right? So we are the people who work, who each one of us, I, I don't uh, want to uh, separate, separate people from each other. Like even rich guys do work, right? The point is how much is a work worth? Can it be worth 1,000 or 100,000 times um, worth of a, I don't know, street builder or plants grower or a caretaker or whatever you take? You know, we kind of should have, well, it's another discussion, but I, I, I just mean, you know, we are all working and... Um, <clears throat> I suppose what you what I'm gathering from it is like is 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 the fruits of what we do. We should be allowed to see the fruit at least, even if we don't eat it. <laughs> right. But well, anyway, um, Julian and the whistleblowers uh, made us the public uh, having access to mm -hmm. the information we actually need to make informed decisions. Mm -hmm. Like, um, why were Western societies in Iraq? Mm -hmm. What was it all about? Why well, was it Colin Powell holding this, this flask? Um, uh, Saddam Hussein can erase each city in no time, right? Mm -hmm. He said something like that. And uh, then going to Iraq and then finding nothing, you know. This, uh, I, rem I remember Putin telling once 
uh, publicly. If I were the American, I would have found something. You know, this is a pretty hard thing to say. He made a joke, um, but this is how those powerful uh, work. They, they would invent a lie, like Mike Pompeo uh, admitting uh, to the public, yes, we all cheating and lying, and he was proud of it. He was proud uh, going to other countries, influencing uh, the population, uh, setting up a new government, which will then kill their own servants. And this is so mind-boggling. But uh, you know, the point of Putin was, uh, yeah, to make a joke. But this is a, this is a psychological thing, you know, it's like uh, soci sociopaths and uh, psychopaths do such jokes, you know, <laughs> I don't want, I don't mean, I don't want to offend personally uh, Putin, but this is power politics and they do this all the time and um, we should, um, like Chomsky said, uh, talk truth to power, right? Yeah, and uh, to talk to, uh, to be able to talk truth to power, we need this information because we are paying for it. What what is this all about national security? Why why wouldn't the USA, even though the files should have been released now uh, about the death of uh, John F. Kennedy, they set them up for another seventy five years under locks because of national security? What is this all about? What what would uh, happen to the national security if the truth came actually out? This is a inter real interesting thing, and so Julian, um, who made all this possible to, to gather all those informations, corruption, environmental scandals, and treatment of prisoners, this. Uh, this is done in our names. Those soldiers we're sending to be killed and kill others, um, it's, it's hard stuff. And people uh, believe in it. You know, it's, this really hurts my heart and my mind. As you described this, uh, has that, as you've come along your journey, has that got stronger? Because you spend a lot of time on your own. I know you've bumped into people and you've had lots of people talk to you and all this stuff. But then there's, a, as you're walking, there is just silence. But your head's not silent, I doubt. And so... so what is the processes that you've been going through inside? Because I've done a lot of this walking myself, and and it's I do know then things happen. And do you feel have you has the has the walk kind of resolved anything for you, or is it expanded it for you? Where are you? Where do you think you are right now with it? Well, actually, I kind of 
maybe understand now that that's what life is about to do things you really admire I really wish that for my son but actually it's what I wished for me to be able to do things that I would like to do I really love to take care of people like working with uh, those people even not earning much it was enough to survive but um, still it was necessary to survive in this society to even buy food and uh, uh, for the rent and for all this stuff and um, this work really remind, reminds me of uh, to do really this what what you admire this is the most precious what you can do for this world and society uh, there are other opinions like those uh, people in power really do think <laughs> they do good for the world setting up those uh, wars and with guns and with words, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, this hard. But can I describe it this way then, Mike? Because I I do this thing where I place myself in where I am, mm -hmm. so I acknowledge what's around me, and I give what's around me the meaning to me and what my, what it means to me and what I mean to it. Like a chair that you sat on now, that settee, I would think about that and then work through that. And then and then what it does by doing this, instead of me just sitting in a room, I'm sat in a room with all these objects that I have got a relationship with. So when I'm walking on my on my walks mm -hmm. and, and doing and my bike rides as well, I place myself on the walk. I place myself where I am. And then let these things come to me and then have these relationships with them. And then through doing that, there's some of it. You said something to me the other day. You said, when I asked you the similar question, you said, oh, I find myself laughing at myself a lot. And, yeah. and I, I relate to that very much. You know, how, how silly my thoughts can be, but how okay that is to have their thoughts. Yeah, for sure. Um, you, at least it happened to me that I observed myself uh, having those thoughts and realizing those are thoughts and they are allowed to be, mm -hmm. but I am uh, something else, so I'm, I'm not my thoughts, right, so they can come and they can be, they have a huge variety from being so-called good and so-called bad, you know, just a, um, yeah, they are allowed to, to come and um, I am the consciousness which decides what is good and what is bad and what will I do or not and and those the same um, for, for feelings and yeah, actually being kind of on my own, I've also been on my own for, for long times, so like being in uh, remote areas where 
one walks and walks and walks and don't even uh, see a person and um, to keep on and then there is like this feeling of hunger coming through and, and no you're not really hungry you're ages and then this constant play of the mind and the guts and this whole body this whole system you know i always tell to my son you're a you're a whole universe and it's really is the case so now we kind of start to uh, understand that we are a human body and we have a biome so a whole uh, planet of bacteria living in in us like we have more bacteria cells that than our own cells. They have a lighter weight, but still those are organisms living in us and influencing us. And there's a virome and whatever there may be um, even in us, what we not do not know now, but maybe will later. And how all those things work together and um, influence us and feelings, thoughts. So, so listening to that is like um, you would be an advertising person's salesperson's nightmare because <laughs> they would be trying to tell you that you need to act now and you need to do this now and you need to get this now and what you would be, I'm suggesting that you would be going, no, it's okay at the moment. I'm not that particularly hungry. <laughs> well, growing up in this uh, Western society, so after the 12 years, the uh, first eight years were kind of all right. And then things started really uh, getting complicated after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Um, I can remember my mom paying my uh, society work further people had rearranged themselves and my mom still uh, once wanted to give me something like education she set up a, a piano um, lessons and she paid uh, those this woman with chicken so money was worthless but uh, society rearranged and um, going through this phase maybe uh, made me think about what's what is important in life so when money isn't uh, is not worth any more than the paper which it is printed on um, people gonna need food and uh, yeah kind of realizing that on this planet um, there are people who are dying of famine while um, going through these societies <laughs> And there's food everywhere and it's thrown away and this is uh, mind-boggling but yeah uh, a nightmare to a salesperson you know we need salespersons but uh, not to consume this this whole consumerism um, is in my opinion a false thing to do we know if everybody would well, we don't really know but 
I assume those uh, studies are right. So if everybody would live like uh, the Western societies, that we would need three Earths. And so for our consumption, we have to have uh, other societies which we exploit. And uh, the result of it is, uh, for example, famine or slavery. You know. mm. So one could think that all those people working overseas uh, are, are slaves. Actually, when I studied, um, I lived in the community, and one of uh, my uh, room mates, you mm -hmm. said, he <laughs> came one day and said, do you want to, to know how many slaves you have? And then there was this website that could give uh, what is your consumption level, how often do you drive, car, fly, and then uh, which clothes do you wear, where do you buy them, which foods you consume. And then it put up out the number, um, and I had, I think, four slaves. And I was pretty, uh, you know, I, I've been studying no money at all, no <laughs> no voyages, no no nothing. <laughs> uh, just barely surviving in this society in Germany. Uh, I had four slaves. So you you was a lazy economist. <laughs> <laughs> right. But this still applies for for this society. So um, for all this consumption, we have to get it somewhere. Um, this is what all these wars maybe are for, just exploiting people like it's been done for ages and the recent 600 years of European history. So you can actually put WikiLeaks in there, highlighting the fact of Western greed for consumption of other countries' economies. Well... What WikiLeaks uh, made possible is to consume the right information. So information is a thing, a food for our brain. We need good nourishment uh, to have a healthy mind, mm -hmm. as we need healthy nourishment for a healthy body. We need uh, the information to make an informed decision. Um, that's the point. What WikiLeaks made possible, what what for? I'm so thankful. So you know, I really would like to work for a society, and that's one of the other reasons uh, for my work. Walk to um, yeah to make it possible that society gives. Uh, mental nourishment, the right mental nourishment to uh, to the society. That's one of the things I've observed walking with you is uh, is that you engage with people. So yeah, they get well. What's that about? And then you engage them, and then you inform them of what that's about. And yeah. and you you and you listen to their questions. But there has to be interest. So yes. in the society, um, what really makes me sad is uh, many people 
I don't know where what it is. Is it not enough time or something? But they don't even bother. Bother. Uh, there's a man with a uh, rickshaw with a huge sign on it, sweating all over his body, and they don't even want to know. So there are those those people who engage, and then I I'm really happy to to give them the information because this is crucial to. Uh, to a free society which we claim we have. So um, I really would like to work for a society where these things uh, are possible. And another reason, so I, I see these societies, so let's say on a scale uh, of a free society and an uh, enslaved society, we are going towards slavery. And I would like this, the scale go back <laughs> to freedom. Yeah. Julian is, uh, um, Julian Assange, is, uh, he, I've got a relationship with, with a poster, so we are um, on Julian and Korea when we talk to each other. You know, I'm carrying the, those posters with me in my 10 weeks now, and uh, Julian always watches me because <laughs> uh, those posters, you know. Wherever I put them, Julian is always looking at me and uh, watching over me. And yeah, I really would like to continue his work or remind actually people that there is a person, he's still living, and we have had to fight for this person, which is a huge symbol, one of the uh, biggest symbols for, for a free society where free speech free information flow uh, is possible and we have the right to know we are living in a society and make all this possible it's uh well there's two things that's coming up one is uh we, we talked i asked you did you was you aware of a, a group called led by donkeys um and you, you haven't been but um they also do a similar thing where, but they are much more production it's a, a bigger production thing it's a, it's a screen and it's on the back of a truck and all this lot um, and they don't actually physically engage with with the people it's just a screen and you watch it whereas yours is is a much more interactive thing it's mm -hmm. you, this is the big difference um, and you know the th the 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 thing that I get from it is this is much more organic and and <laughs> without all the sweat and all that lot, but it's much more organic, this relationship that you're having. You're having this relationship with Julian, our poster, and you're also having this relationship with people who, that you would like to have his message said to them. And so it's, it's, it's a much... It's a much stronger way of doing it, even though I am a big fan of Led by Donkeys because of what do they do. But I could see this huge difference in the approach. And I've got to say, I'm more in favour of yours yeah. over theirs. But that's because I've done it with you, a very small little bit, you know, but I've done it with you and I, and I get it. I get it. So that leads me on to another little question, really. Is, is Are you aware of how many people are following you? Uh, you know, through, I, I, I don't do Twitter as much, but through Twitter, through Facebook, through TikTok, through all these other places. Are you aware of this? 
I'm not really aware of the whole situation, so maybe we'll evaluate after yeah. afterwards. So it is kind of complicated uh, walking and engaging in social media too. I try to, um, but it is really hard. I have help with Twitter and Facebook, uh, and I take time to, or at mm -hmm. least I try to um, put all those things together. I experience at least a part of it and write them down on the Telegram channel. And so uh, I had contact with uh, somebody who um, just took those messages and put them on Facebook and then had face problems. And so uh, it is kind of hard to find the time for it because walking and uh, talking to people is uh, pretty time consuming. Like there's literally little time left for, for oneself, except for while you're walking. But you know, it's a huge experience and I wouldn't want to miss it. But I'm not aware of the whole um, influence of, of my work. Well, being with you and, and, and uh, we went, we was invited in for a cup of tea and you actually took the two to have a shower as well. And, and one of the family members is a production person for a very well-known left-wing thinking uh, uh, um, channel. And uh, I noticed I haven't tried to get hold of you, but that, that was very interesting for me. Um, because I put you on Facebook, right? And I put you on quite a few places that I go to. And I was watching the responses on it. And the responses I was getting, which I really liked, were very, some of them were obviously in depth, but others were very simple. And it was thank you. That was very positive through that. Thank you was quite regular. Or uh, no one, there's my man. <laughs> it wasn't a dating agency either. Like, this was, this was, yeah. Literally, I do encourage people to not follow my lead, but to uh, acknowledge what is important to them and um, being part of the evolution. So, not revolution, but evolution. Mm -hmm. and, uh, we, we are a society and if we want to move a mountain, we can do it. We just have to start with the first stone. If everybody carries a stone, we can move the mountain. Maybe a year or... Well, that was a very interesting conversation we had earlier this morning, which was quite a long conversation, where you talked about carrying the baton. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you asked about uh, if I would like to do the same thing again or um, do another thing and I told you about that uh, next time I hope it is not necessary at least not for Julian so I think this uh, so-called fight I, I, it's not a fight with this but it is um, this constant fight which is going on in society between the majority of people and the 
little minority rich people or people in power and uh, so that's how I mean it like this this fight not not the French Revolution fight where they <laughs> uh, beheaded somebody and but the oligarchs still uh, survived uh, not like that but it is a constant um, evolution of fight and I try that we uh, talk to each other so we can um, make society more livable for everybody, not uh, for a few. But then back to the idea uh, was so walking the whole distance again in such a short period of time. I had the, the idea to make a baton um, uh, war, you know, where um, people, so I, each time I, I approached, there were active people who knew about the case and the, and the importance. So then the idea emerged that we as a society should do this. Uh, I really hope that, I don't know, one million people would walk with me so um, the people in power wouldn't, would not be able to ignore such a protest, you know. Masses do uh, matter, but still, to the idea of the baton walk is uh, to start with a baton and that one city or the active people would walk uh, the first 20 or 30 kilometers or a day worth of walking, or at least those people who can, and pass the baton over to the next city where they arrive and then this city will start on the next day to so the active people maybe the whole city why not um, to go to the next city and so this like you said the olympic flame this mm. the idea of the olympic flame um, yeah to enlighten the society <laughs> Well, to enlighten a stick, to pass it over, to take care of the fire, which is so important for life. And in our Western world, we know that the free press is uh, constitutional to uh, a democracy, having control over um, people in power. Mm. On a lighter note, but yet more interesting though, because um, we have boat people coming in as they call them, or refugees. Um, what was your ferry crossing like to get here? And how did that, because I found that really interesting. The ferry crossing, oh, this was a really complicated thing to do. Um, yeah, well, actually I've got a passport from the European Union and it should be without without problems making the crossing at least to the regulations but then the um, <laughs> company rules kicked in um, I tried to get a ticket and the tickets uh, office and they said no you can take it with, with us because you, you the, the, with this thing, you wouldn't go as a passenger, because this uh, 
trailer is too big for uh, a trunk. <coughs> and this is not a bicycle. We can take you as a bicyclist because this is not a vehicle. And this was the point. But uh, I wouldn't even would even have paid the higher price for a bicyclist with a trailer. Uh, but they said no. This is the definition, and there is no bypass in this. We are <laughs> you are not allowed to go as a passenger <laughs> because this thing is too big for um, like a rucksack or what you are allowed to to have with, with you. And uh, I, I could actually dis disassemble the whole thing. It's like a um, children can't. I, I can, could just push, but they said no, no way. And um, I bought. I went then to another company. There are three companies, and uh, each other, each of those companies said no, 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 because you're as a passenger, this is too big, and as a uh, cyclist, it, it's not allowed because you have to sit on it. You actually have to sit on it and then move something that you move. And uh, even talking to the managers, like not to the people sitting at the um, tickets uh, office where they control, but I even talked to the manager and I described the whole situation. I'm on my walk, made already 1000 blah 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 kilometers. And do you really think I shall stop here because of your definitions? Why, why wouldn't I allow? <laughs> to come on the ferry. So um, I found a guy at least uh, who took my trailer as a real trailer. So I don't have a coupling, mm -hmm. but he still he was into motorsports and uh, uh, he managed to wrap stuff around and he went really slowly so this thing don't doesn't go go off and that's. How it was possible to come <laughs> to come over, but this was, you know, it was like I arrived there at seven o'clock in the evening, and there were three ferries uh, going afterwards, and the last was uh, 20, 45, 20, 22, so 10, 10 p.m. and forty-five minutes. And I booked for the last one just. In case that anything somehow anything, and um, yeah, tried to find a person which would which would take me with them uh, for two hours. It makes me wonder. There's two things. One, we're back to the Hitchhiker's Guide and Volgans with their uh, very rigid rules and they can't be persuaded any other way. And so I'm not saying that the ferry services are Volgans, but they sound very much like that. Um, and then the other thing is, of course, how would a, how would a, a parent go on, on as a foot passenger pushing a pram with a child in it? How would that... Yeah, I ask <laughs> all those sort of questions, but you know, the, those are rules, they cannot be, uh, no, those, those are rules, and I, I don't see other possibilities. You know, uh, I ask the manager and the, the other persons, what happens if uh, someone's bike breaks down, if they have to push it? 
you know. It's it's the same thing. I just have had my and I I told them I can run if if it's about uh, about uh, being fast. I, I I can run. You know, I've got lights and no. This is the definition. You have to sit on it and um, then it dries. Okay. <laughs> Hey, so since you've been in the UK, what if you have you found a more? Well, I'll rephrase it. Right, Germany, Netherlands, Belgium, France. What was the awareness of Julian Assange and his plight? Right, and what was the difference? If there was a difference, did you notice when you got to the UK? So first of all, I never thought that there would be so hard borders. It's literally um, stepping across. You know, borders are just imaginary lines. Mm. Those are just concept uh, thought concepts, mm. but they really apply. Those cultural differences are huge. When I crossed uh, the border between Germany and uh, Netherlands, the first thing I saw in Germany, you still have to wear a face mask going by public transport. And I just crossed, crossed the border, went two kilometers. And a full bus, a bus full of people passes by, and nobody wears a mask. So this was <laughs> eyes opening. And then, just really a few kilometers into the country, like one two kilometers, and the architecture is different. The mindset of the people is different. Uh, and this happened all through the journey. The, there are really hard borders on borders. Uh, when I was in, in the Netherlands, everyone was so nice and polite, and uh, they looked you in the eyes, and um, yeah, just nice people. And then we crossed the border. In the Netherlands, it was just Maastricht, so it, it was just a little tiny bit of, of the whole journey. But this region was pretty nice. I have to say, regional um, borders are also borders. Uh, when I was passing through um, North Rhine-Westfalen, uh, there's a conglomerate of cities going one to another. another. And uh, like 30, walking 30 kilometers, those were different planes. Uh, in, in, in Dortmund, <laughs> nobody would even look at you. And then, just 50 kilometers further in uh, Essen, it started. People were totally nice and open. And what are you doing? So, it doesn't even apply to uh, countries, but even to regions. It really is uh, mind boggling. And, um, well, um, I think. Yeah, those regions were important. Bigger cities were kind of 
more open for um, this whole issue and talking to other people in villages too, but the approach is a bit different. So um, in the villages, people really stopped to talk to you. Mm. Um, in cities, it was um, not so often. It does happen too, but uh, not so often. And, uh, The only region I passed was there is a hard border in Belgium. So there are um, the north is Flemish, mm -hmm. the south is Wallonia, and the north is kind of more uh, oriented towards Netherlands, mm -hmm. the languages, and um, the streets are built more like the Netherlands. Uh, and The Wallonian are totally more oriented to towards France, mm. and so I just passed really four kilometers. There was a little forest. I passed the forest, and uh, the Wallonian people they look you in the eye. They say at least uh, not hello. It's uh, I wish you a good day. So mm -hmm. to say as a greeting. And maybe even a uh, uh, broader talk, but at least I wish you a good day. And so, um, just walked four kilometers, and nobody wanted to speak French. Uh, they were like, really, they would decline to talk French, and um, they wouldn't look you in the eyes. They they would pass by and uh, no. I haven't seen you. No, you're really not there. This huge sign and the, the man pulling the cart. No, I haven't seen it. No, no. Oh, isn't this nice? The way that, you know, those cultural differences. Uh, but um, uh, the picture in, in those regions I passed, it was all the same. Uh, there is a one person out of a thousand who actually knows okay. uh, maybe there are 10 out of thousand maybe 100 in some regions uh, but it's alarmingly low so the knowledge about julian assange is alarmingly low and uh, some people know about wikileaks so i would say i don't know Maybe 95% uh, don't know about Julian Assange and 90% don't know about Wikileaks. So mm -hmm. I don't make points on, on figures. I didn't collect all the data, but it's like this feeling that there's a huge, huge un unknowing, unknowingness about this issue and this whole thing. So, It was hidden very well. This, uh, by the way, this is uh, what I experienced at the weekly vigil I visited. So with this whole, um, when he was withdrawn out of the embassy, mm -hmm. no, what, when he was taken out of, em of the embassy, um, I really closed up, followed the case. Um, so there is a 
so-called alternative media, which are called free media in Germany, uh, the media which is supported by little payments. So people like you, me, you and me, just sitting together, uh, having a chat, and having quite knowledgeable people talking to them, uh, trying to get interviews. And so those free media, they really reported on on this issue. So. One could have been uh, um, on the point if one had, uh, if one wanted to. So you don't have to consume the uh, mass media uh, or mainstream media, however you call it. And uh, I, I really closely followed this whole issue. Um, because I knew about the importance. So it was important when he was in the embassy, but still he could work at least sometime until the government changed. And um, yeah, after this, uh, he, he had a sentence of, I, I think those were 50 weeks for not uh, be, being at the office uh, for the Swedish government mm -hmm. requests and what I thought that he would be a free man afterwards and um, it wasn't the case and so I um, searched for actually for a protest against the COVID measures and there was a site on, in Hamburg which was set up that each uh, citizen sees which uh, manifestations will take place in the next time. And so searching for COVID, non-COVID uh, restrictions um, manifestation, I found a group which organized a protest for um, the WikiLeaks founder for one of them. I didn't want to break you off because it's quite, but I do, I don't want to lose some bits. What's your thoughts on the um, well, the present uh, leader of the opposition in the UK, which is the Labour Party, used to be the head of public services, uh, so public uh, court service, um, and he played a a small part, but a part, in the Swedish uh, relationship of coming to interview or not interview um, Julian. What is your thoughts around that little bit? Do you think he escalated the problem? Do you think, uh, you know, do you think that had that been a sorted out and closed and finished with, then there'd have been nothing they could do, nothing they could say. That's his book, but they had uh, heard some interviews and uh, some speeches. And, um, as I understood it, it was a setup. And um, this guy you're talking to, I don't Well, we'll call him by his name, his name's Starmer. Yeah. So this whole system, was a setup. So he, as I know, Julian would have talked to the Swedish uh, authorities, and he 
offered it several times. He said that I wouldn't go out of the embassy, but they uh, invited to come here or we can do it online. And it was possible, so it has been done already several times before, not with Julian, but um, the Swedish authorities would have easily made, made, made it possible. And uh, it wasn't done, and those figures, they played their role in this whole um, issue. Now, one of the uh, reasons for my work is to raise public attention mm. um, to the case and to uh, ask, to demand the politicians to be responsible for this, what they done prior and in this case. And what they're not doing now. They, they are not. They're not. And this is what I uh, really ask of people. They are, whatever they are offering me, I say, I don't need it. Please work for the society. Make this happen. This is all I ask. Please, um, you know, things are helpful, which like having a cup uh, of tea in the shower. I really um, am very thankful. But still, what is really important for us is that we uh, move the scale in the right direction. And it's been pushed for us in, in the wrong direction, at least in, in my point of view. And this is what I ask the people that we have to, uh, we have to catch those people and make them responsible for what they have done. Like, it seems it is corruption. I don't have the evidence for it. But, like, you know, this was what WikiLeaks made possible, having not claims, but actual information, the truth. Um, I've noticed that you, you, you put uh, yellow ribbons with a, a message on them, uh, on church doors. Today was a first. I saw you do it on a Masonic Lodge, which was really exciting. <laughs> you know, uh, like some Chomsky said, talking truth to power. And I, I really believe that all those gathering places, like the Masonic Lodges, they... Uh, they do it for a purpose, and it's not just like drinking beer. It's uh, the interconnection. They um, connect each other and help each other. Those are communities, and so they really have power. I'm, I'm not. I haven't looked real closely, but I really have a feeling, guts feeling, that Masonic lodges do have uh, a lot of power. And so churches do, and um, especially churches have a huge influence, had and still have a huge influence on um, transport of information. One of the interesting things I saw on Facebook was that you stood outside Canterbury Cathedral, which is respectively supposed to be the head of the Anglican Church, and um, and you was right outside. What was picked up on Facebook was that you were seen there, and they wondered why you was doing, it. and uh, and um, and I I 
I thought that was quite interesting that the person, it was an actual journalist who was on Facebook, questioned, and then it made sense to him straight away why you've done it. He went, ah, yes, that makes sense. I get that. So what was your response from the that particular building? What did you get? Did you did you did the Archbishop of Canterbury come out to you or the leader of the Anglican Church? I I can help a lot of people to my walk. One of them came to Canterbury and he printed uh, a letter. Um, addressed to the church to pray for Julian Assange. Um, there were several points. So, a lot of points why this man should be freed, why one could or should pray for, uh, for this man. Um, and uh, actually, <laughs> I wasn't allowed to cross this imaginary line or physical line of uh, the cathedral's uh, space. Mm -hmm. Not even in front of the cathedral. Even if I, I if I would talk to the um, people who are who are doing the, the job and checking tickets, or the they had. Uh, um, cathedral police there, so <laughs> I don't know. Uh, they had a real little state in the state, <laughs> like having their own police there, um, and they wouldn't allow um, going through uh, the gates and not allow talking to the priest. They wouldn't, uh, or or the archbishop. So. There was quite no possibility. Those people who uh, made made it possible, they came to the day um, to uh, join me on the walk. And Paul, which is a great fellow and really enthusiastic and so powerful, although his age, although in his age, uh, so although he's like. I don't know, 70, I guess, but still uh, a lot of energy in, in this guy. And so, um, with their help, we uh, managed to um, set harassment to the people who wouldn't let us in, even if I'm, I'm a, I talked to them and said I'm a pilgrim who walked the whole way visiting the whole churches. And, they wouldn't allow me to go in, inside. So this was a, quite remarkable, right? So not allowed to be go to the church in a humanitarian mission for a prisoner um, <clears throat> as a pilgrim was kind of unusual, I would say. And, but the people who joined me, we caused a little bit of harassment. Uh, some disturbances, so um, they called the police, the actual police, not the police of the cathedral. And two officers came and were quite polite and friendly and um, said, no, this is free speech. And, um, 
it is allowed as, as long as you don't shout and people and cause real harassment. So um, we asked them or Paul actually did uh, to take the letter and to bring it to one of the priests or to the archbishop or um, to ask somebody to come out to talk to me. So the priest came out and we asked him to pray for Julian to, to pass things over. He wouldn't actually want to pray especially for Julian because they they pray always for all prisoners and they don't make uh, this personal. So, you know, he was kind of skilled of uh, dealing with um, demands of people and <clears throat> this was obvious so we weren't allowed or I wasn't allowed uh, to go inside the church and but I could have placed uh, the yellow ribbons outside of the church and so the statue there it was allowed but not on the church or on the gates or wherever and I wasn't allowed to go inside um, to take a picture, which I have done all my way through. And the yellow ribbons is uh, is a sign which is uh, promoted for um, people who are missed in society. And so Julian um, Assange is the missed person in society, taken out of society, um, a sign for welcoming somebody back so that Julian ever comes back to society. This is a sign everyone can put up on the door or wherever that he is welcome. And also it's a um, a symbol to remind society what what is this all about? Why a yellow ribbon and why I, I write down free Assange. So why, what is free and what is Assange? Just people starting thinking about what is this all about and maybe searching. It's interesting that the police actually treat you in a very civil way and, and uh, um, after what I just said about the police sentiments and yeah, crime for sentiments. Yeah. Uh, they actually just said, "No, you've got a freedom." So, and, and it is it, the actual law is that it is down to the discretion of the police. So that's a really reassuring thing about that. So that's quite lovely. Maybe they haven't read it yet. Maybe they haven't. Read it, but it's not as though it's a hidden secret. During my um, lifetime, I had often the experience that uh, actual policemen don't know the law. You can. If you know the law, you can beat, so so called beat. You know, in the, in the argumental fights, you can beat the police. Right. Okay. So just, they're true vulgars. Um. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe four votes. Okay. So, I mean, we're getting on in time. Um, So I, I, we see you as a sort of a messenger carrying a message in an activist way and 
I think that's a really powerful thing to do. You've just explained quite clearly why you're doing it and how it's done. Now then, not going into religion stuff, but we've had this conversation earlier, which which did bring a smile to your face. So my question was at the time was, um, I'm aware that there was a past truth teller, right? Right. Yeah. And and we are now got a truth teller in prison, and it or someone who gives a platform for truth telling is more more the case. And when we had this conversation earlier, which was much earlier this morning, I really liked that response that you gave because you named a whole run of truth tellers. And the interesting thing about all of those truth tellers is they've all been incarcerated. Yeah. And that, would you like to expand on that a little bit? Because I think that's very powerful what you said to me this morning. As I told, told earlier, this is an ongoing fight between the mass of the people uh, being so-called enslaved. In former times, they really literally were enslaved. And, uh, this still kind of goes on. We are all caught in our little cages of work and kids and mortgages or whatever it is. Uh, or consumption. But there were truth tellers all over the world, all over history, um, of which we know, and there are many, many more of which we don't know. Um, yeah, well, Nelson Mandela, Gandhi, Christ, uh, there are so many of. of uh, stories and even persons in history. We, yeah, I don't know how to go more much deeper in it. Uh, I'm fighting for one, for one of the symbols of freedom itself and truth um, is, um, is one way to freedom, to accept what actually is the case in society as well as personal we are, all have treaties uh, dealing with truth is essential for uh, for persons and society and I really would, would like this society to uh, engage in in movement and activities which will lead to the personal liberation and social. It is, it is true, isn't it, that, that, that telling the truth allows you the freedom of life yeah. because you've got nothing to hide, you know. So if you have done something that's not comfortable with society if you tell the truth about it then you don't need to hide from it you don't need to defend it and you're exposed to freedom 
I do. And you don't have to remember all those lines. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 totally. Because <laughs> I, why I was impressed this morning with your answer to that was because of that. Because I, I really, really believe in that. You know, because when I used to lie, when I used to do them things before, I had to put this huge mirage up of nonsense. Mm. And now it's like, man, the freedom not to, it's like I carry a haversack on my back, but it hasn't got lead weights in it anymore. I've just mm. got a haversack on my back, just putting really collected nice things in it. Yeah. And it's cool. And of course, then what happens then is there's an openness to you. Which I see in you, and I certainly, since I've never met Julian Assange, but I certainly believe that he has got the openness as well. And I certainly know that I stand under Gandhi every year, mm. and I know from the fact that he was always like that, open-mindedness. And open-minded people create more freedom. I hope so. I never met those persons. We no, no, study no, no, them in history. And yeah, yeah, yeah. We are all people with good or bad values, and it also depends who looks what what is good and bad, you know. But uh, the important lesson is uh, to talk true. That's the point. So, mm. yeah, I hope we. Um, can teach our uh, people in power to do that. Hmm. So, uh, so my, it's my daughter asked this question. Uh, <laughs> anyway, she's saying, how did you perceive the idea of what you were doing before you, and I think you said that really, you know, how you perceived what you were doing. But then she says like, as you've been walking, how is that compared with where you started? And then she's asking, how do you think you'll feel at the end of it? So it's like, a, you know, this was loaded here. That was my thoughts when I first started. This is actually my reality as I'm going on now. And then when, what do you think your end will be looking like? If there's ever going to be an end, because I don't think there is, but then. Yeah. So. The start was to talk to the society. And I really think it's crucial that we talk to each other. Point. Um, or full stop, what do you say in, in English? Um, I think I have achieved that. I, I really have a low boundary. Uh, boundary. I, I told me you uh, need to reach one person per day. And if you have achieved that, yeah, that's all it takes. Right? So I. Almost every day of my work, I achieve this goal, sometimes many times more. Um, but this made me happy. Like during this day, I, I never wanted to, to grab. I, I, 
did have, I told about the vision, one million people standing here in front of the gates of um, Belmarsh prison demanding he will be freed or in London, wherever it is. But uh, still, I knew it might be just a dream. It's possible, but highly unlikely. So um, I set myself like this base where I can rely on. It is enough to reach another person uh, one day. At one day. So each day, and not, not <laughs> one day in whole life. But uh, to reach one person each day on my walk. And this would uh, maybe would be a multiplier, maybe not. But um, if people realize how important this issue is, it could be a multiplier. So each person then educating another person, if everybody does, uh, you know, it's an exponential growth. So in the shortest time, we all don't have this information. <laughs> okay, so the asked question is, um, which is a very simple one, after all this is, and you've decided to go back to Hamburg, would be you and I be able to catch up again and just reflect the time that you've had and where you're at then? So where are you going to be then? Yeah, it, it, like. Could you and I meet up, whether however we do it, it could be virtual or it could be physical. I'd like to be physical. Um, we meet up and have this same conversation again. With the knowledge that you've grasped in, say, a couple of months' time. Yeah, it's uh, difficult to project... No, my thoughts, but I really would like to uh, meet again and um, also to evaluate how yes. I would I would feel. Mm -hmm. There are all sorts of thoughts going through my head, but what really will be uh, possible to be applied is a different question, right? Yeah. But uh, sure, this walk opened also my mind. What it's possible, what is not possible, and um, one can overcome a lot of things. I knew it from my uh, prior life and difficulties I had, but still, it is a reminder, a strong reminder um, that you just have to start. If you want to move a mountain, you have to start with the first stone. And after that, it will be easier. With each stone, it gets easier. And uh, this was also my, my thoughts during the walk, and also in hard times, thinking how must it be um, for Julian Assange being imprisoned with all those um, treatments he receives. Like, Mm -hmm. or scanning or 
X-rays several times a day, glue keys on that button. So I was thinking of him. What also pushed my boundaries. Uh, what really, really is important. You think you have boundary, boundaries, but you can overcome those boundaries if, if you really need to. So there are still physical boundaries, but you can overcome them. Uh, well, you, it is possible. Like, uh, well, I'll tell a story. There was uh, a meeting uh, at the three points, uh, no, the three borders point. And uh, they only do it once a month. And I was really near, or we were, my girlfriend was with me at the moment. And we had uh, to break up our, our walk and we took the train to get to the meeting. You walk by the train, <laughs> by train again back to, to walk the whole distance, but still. We went there, and uh, it was it was a mess. This whole day was a mess. We started pretty early, literally almost ran to the train station to get the train, and uh, the elevator was broken, so we had uh, to carry this huge uh, trailer step by step the the steps up. Then we got to the train and had to take another train then and. Uh, being in the city of Aachen, we had to walk to the three borders uh, point. But actually, this point is on a hill, and so we had to overcome 200 height differences in meters. So we managed to do seven kilometers with this uh, height dif uh, difference in one hour. And I think with were 90 minutes. Seven kilometers in one hour, 19, pulling up uh, this, this cars. Uh, it was like five kilometers on average with this heavy weight, and we did manage it. You know, in in one's mind, if you if one would have told you you have to go on a mountain or a hill. 200 meter difference, this is a no-brainer. You wouldn't want to do it in, uh, on a race, right? And so was my mindset, but I really wanted to join the uh, meeting. And so those physical boundaries I, you think you have, they are possible to be overcome. And this is what I learned on, on the journey. I really was... Um, tired the next two days. I really was finished. My body said, you need kind of a break. I didn't give my body a break, but still it was just, we were very slow. You know, but uh, it is possible to overcome those boundary, boundaries if you really need to. And I feel this is the time where we really need to overcome all of our boundaries, physical and mental, what we think is not possible. We should start doing it now because it is possible. This is my um, experience from from the world. It is one of them.
Thank you very much. It's been Thank a pleasure. It's, well, not a pleasure. Actually, in fact, it's, it's really nice getting to know you. I enjoyed it myself too. It's good. Yeah. It's it's good. Two old activists together. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you.